Over the course of seven months, Twitter has steadily ramped up its anti-terrorism efforts since mid-2015. Over 125,000 accounts have been suspended on the popular social networking site for threatening or promoting terrorist acts, primarily related to ISIS. Here to help us understand Twitter's actions and the way social media have to navigate national security issues is Emma Lanzo. She is the director of the Free Expression Project at the Center for Democracy and Technology. Emma, thank you for joining us. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Can you put this figure into context? 125,000 suspended accounts seems like a lot, but is it really? That's a great question, and it's it's a difficult one to answer because we just generally don't have a lot of context and a lot of information about how much content social media sites like Twitter are taking down under their terms of service every day. Um, what we do have reports on from Twitter and a number of the other big Internet companies are the requests that they get from governments about taking down pieces of content or taking down accounts. Um, and so for Twitter, uh, in their most recent uh, transparency report between January and June of 2015, they reported taking down 158 accounts um, or withholding those accounts in certain um, certain countries and withholding content from 2,354 tweets. So these are significantly smaller numbers than what we see um, in their report from last week about the content that they're kind of proactively taking down under their terms of service. Um, what the rationale is for, for that big for that difference, why we're not seeing more requests from governments, um, is is an open question. Eight hundred four three three eight eight five zero. You'd better call now if you'd like to get in on this conversation. What obligation do you think Twitter has to monitor its feeds for terrorist activity? Do you trust Twitter to weed out accounts that may help organize terrorist organizations? Eight hundred four three three eight eight five zero. Shoot us a tweet at Kojo Show or email to Kojo WAMU dot org. How does Twitter find accounts with terror related posts? So Twitter like most of the major internet content platforms um, relies heavily on user reports. Uh, these are companies that are receiving hundreds of thousands, millions of status messages, tweets, photos, um, or hundreds of hours of video uploaded every day. Uh, there's no way to really do proactive screening um, and kind of filtering of content before it gets posted online. So companies rely on their users to flag content, to report abuse, or to otherwise kind of indicate that, hey, I've seen this update, I've seen this tweet, and I think it violates the site's policies. Then the site will review that material. Um, and in large part, this is actually human review. They've The big companies have hundreds of employees who actually take a look at the flagged content and try to decide, does this violate our harassment policy? Does this violate our policy against uh, threats of violence? Let's listen to what FBI Director James Comey said last July on CNN around the time Twitter says it began ramping up its monitoring of terror-related accounts. With Al-Qaeda, if you wanted to consume their propaganda, you had to go find it somewhere on the web. You'd read their magazine. If you want to talk to a terrorist, you might send an email in to their magazine and hope that somebody answers you. ISIL has changed that model entirely because ISIL is buzzing on your hip. Right? That message is being pushed all day long. And if you want to talk to a terrorist, they're right there on Twitter direct messaging for you to communicate with. That's FBI Director James Comey. Comey, care to comment on that remark? Uh, 
Sure. I think there's, <laughs> as Director Comey said, you know, you have to go find content. I mean, that's still true with the social media sites. You, you're not, you don't get a new phone and all of a sudden someone has created a Twitter account for you on that phone that is now pushing ISIS messaging to you. Um, something has happened. A person has, whether it's uh, following particular accounts or tracking a certain hashtag because they want to see what is the discussion around these topics, people are out there looking for information. And yes, the various sites are, are figuring out ways to make information more accessible to people. Um, so it's not surprising that ISIS, like everyone else, is figuring out how to use those tools to get their message out there. But I think it's still, there's a lot in this that is relies on a user going out and trying to find information. If Twitter only acts on accounts that are flagged by other users, will terrorists on Twitter respond by being more subtle, less explicit, or moving to another social media platform? I think we'll definitely see and, and already have seen um, people who support ISIS moving to other platforms or uh, moving from public discussion to private discussion. Um, and of course, the the question about subtlety also takes us right into that, the really tough question that companies are facing when they're trying to enforce policies against you know, so-called extremist content. When is a subtle and nuanced discussion of you know, ISIS's ideology uh, actually part of some kind of pro-ISIS propaganda? And when is it merely somebody having thoughtful discussion about ISIS ideology? You know, the key thing to remember with all of this, these questions about internet companies policing this speech is that companies have a much greater leeway than the government does in uh, in terms of setting their content policies. Um, government, the U.S. government under the First Amendment is very restricted about what it can prohibit, what kind of speech it pr can prohibit or punish people for saying. Companies have much broader policies against things like hate speech or harassment or content and speech around terrorism. So when we hear from governments or the public pressure on companies to enforce their policies more stringently, we've got to remember that that's going after a lot of lawful speech, too. 800-433-8850. Do you think social media platforms balance free speech with security well? Give us a call, 800-433-8850. Send email to kojo at wamu.org. we got a tweet from Jordan who says, and this really has to do with freedom of expression. Jordan says, what about accounts that promote or threaten violence out of racism, Islamophobia, or other forms of prejudice? That is a great question. Um, and what we hear, you know, we've been hearing for over a year, all of this kind of discussion around companies should do more about countering violent extremism. But it really seems pretty clear that violent extremism is being used as sort of a, an umbrella term, but really we're talking about pro-ISIS propaganda. And what that doesn't capture is all of the other kinds of advocacy to violent acts, to terrorist acts, whether it's you know white supremacist groups in the United States um, or any of the other many groups out there who are calling for some kind of violent action against a country or different groups of people. Um, there's been a lot of focus just on the ISIS piece. And I think that's something as companies are looking at how to respond to all of this pressure and all of the scrutiny, they've got to ensure that they're not getting caught up in, um, you know, 
unfortunate or unfair profiling or targeting of certain communities or groups. When news of NSA monitoring broke in 2013, here's what Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, had to say then on CNN about how Twitter would balance its mission with national security interests. And I think we have to be stewards not of only, only of our service, but also everyone who has who's participating in it. And you know, as as we push back on our own policies, we should also push back on government policies as well, ours and others. In its blog post, Twitter highlighted the recent praise it received from the FBI director, James Comey, for blocking terrorist accounts. But what is the current nature of Twitter's relationship with the government? How have technology companies gotten closer to the national security interests overall? That's another area where we don't have as much information as I think we should. Um, there was a big meeting in Silicon Valley in the end of January where um, very high-ranking officials from the administration and high-level folks from internet companies and telecom companies um, out in California had a, a closed-door meeting about this very topic. And you know, reporting on um, on that meeting has been able to offer some kind of high-level topics that were discussed. But, you know, this is this is a, seems like a major step of the U.S. government trying to get the quote-unquote cooperation of U.S. companies in it's not clear what, <laughs> whether that involves more monitoring of uh, both U.S. and non-U.S. persons around the world in relation to national security, whether it involves setting standards about uh, content policies um, and what kind of speech is and isn't allowed on these platforms. We just we need governments and companies to be having these discussions much more openly um, and with the participation of other advocates of people who are in there to protect the rights of all individuals and, you know, people who have the different perspectives that are necessary to really come up with good, solid policy solutions. Because how will we, the users, know if tech companies cross the lines and start to give governments more say in deciding what is and what is not prohibited speech? Right. There's, I mean, <laughs> we're sort of at the, the mercy of the tech companies in finding out from them what are their policies and how are they being influenced. You know, I think what we've heard from, I think, a number of companies is that they don't want to get into the middle of this, like becoming the content police for the Internet um, for, you know, national security purposes. I don't think that's a really appealing job description for any of them. But when we don't have that transparency, it's really hard to maintain user trust. The news about Twitter's increase in monitoring was released shortly after a woman filed a federal lawsuit against Twitter for breaching the Anti-Terrorism Act and, quoting here, knowingly permitting ISIS to use its social networking as a tool. What weight does this lawsuit have? And was the release of Twitter's, Twitter's blog post time to coincide with the news of this lawsuit? Well, since this lawsuit is a civil lawsuit, um, it's very unlikely that it's going to succeed against Twitter because there's a strong protection in U.S. law. It's called Section 230 of the Communications Act um, that ensures that content hosts, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or um, somebody running a website that allows comments on it, um, that a content host can't be held legally liable for content that they didn't author. So if you host video and somebody else uploads a video that defames someone, or if I tweet something defamatory about you, um, you can sue me, but you can't sue Twitter over that. And so 
that's likely how this case will be disposed of, um, that this uh, this woman is bringing a, a civil suit against Twitter for uh, kind of the consequences or the effects of um, other people's speech and that that's that's not something that Twitter can be held legally responsible for. I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Emma Lanzo is the director of the Free Expression Project at the Center for Democracy and Technology. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. I'm Kojo Nandi. WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.